This is the Star Coach Show with Meg Rentschler, episode 253. Another way to build that trust is to have a clear understanding of the problem that our audience cares about. Because when they see that we understand them, they're going to trust us more and be more willing to go a little deeper with us. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello and welcome to the Star Coach Show. It is awesome to have you here. We have a great show today that's going to give you some real strategies that you can apply immediately in communicating in a way that really captures the attention of the audience that you are trying to, whether that's one-on-one or whether that's one-to-many. And we're going to get to that in just a second. As I was prepping for today's show, I was just kind of amazed that we're already solidly into September. And it got me to thinking about how the demands on our lives or just different requirements of our time throughout the year, things ebb and flow, things, you know, so back when I had small kids, and for those of you that do, you know, summer and keeping your kids occupied and happy and uh, engage in activities is different than the busyness that comes with the school year because then you've got homework and you've got after school activities and keeping on top and getting home and getting dinner ready in time to, you know, get kids to bed on time or whatever that might be. And for those of us, you know, who don't currently have kids at home, there can also be, you know, just the ebb and flow of does work slow down a little in the summer because people are vacationing and things like that. And then when the fall kicks in, are we, you know, are there new projects to be done? Or, you know, are you being uh, invited on more speaking? engagements or trainings because budgets run out in December? and Or is your business still being impacted on fewer speaking in-person speaking engagements because of the influx of COVID cases? I know for me, I've had two uh, trainings, one canceled for August and one canceled for October that were in person. And just this kind of ebb and flow. So I think as coaches, we need to be aware of the ebb and flow that's impacting us and the ebb and flow that our clients are going through. So if you haven't met me yet, my name is Meg Rentschler. I am an executive coach, but I'm also a coach instructor and mentor coach. And I created the Star Coach Show to help the coaches just, you know, build skills and continue to create great ideas around building their business or getting uh, getting out there. Because if we don't get out there, people don't know what we're doing and, and what we can offer. As an executive coach, I'm intrigued about different leadership techniques and different ways that we can engage with organizations. So the Star Coach Show each week brings one of these aspects forward and helps you if you're a coach or if you're thinking about coaching or if you're a leader, just kind of sink into some of these ideas about how coaching can impact the world. 
It is through that impact that I enjoy working with the leaders that I work with in organizations to use coaching skills to better connect with their teams, with their employees, to create healthier work organizations. And as a mentor coach, I absolutely want everybody who wants to have a business that supports them doing what they love through coaching, be able to succeed that in that way. And part of doing that is bringing experts onto the show to talk with you about different things that can happen to build those skills, build those businesses, create those opportunities and organizations. And my guest today is going to help us think about how we engage in conversations to grab attention. Because if we don't grab attention, if we don't speak to what the listener wants to hear, what hopefully your ideal audience, what you understand to be true about your ideal audience, then we're not bringing that kind of value that we want if we're not able to capture attention. We're going to be talking about problem marketing in a way, like, but rather than kind of looking at it through a negative lens, I don't want that to seem negative. What I hear when I hear Neil talk is that you have to understand your audience and you have to understand what it is that they're struggling with rather than blindly offering solution. Neil Gordon is a communications expert, and he helps other experts become the face of a movement. He works with executives, with influencers, with coaches, and thought leaders, and does things toward publishing and toward speaking. So he helps his clients get six-figure book advances. He also helps them speak on shows like Ellen and Dr. Oz or double their speaking fees. Before he became a communication expert, he worked on the editorial staff of Penguin Random House. And through that, he was able to work with New York Times bestselling authors. So he really knows the business. He knows communication. He's been featured on Forbes, Fortune, and Inc., Dot com, uh, NBC, Palm Springs, and is a VIP contributor for Entrepreneur. I'm so excited to introduce you to him. I, I encourage you to listen to how Neil is communicating throughout the interview, the different speaking techniques that he uses to forward this very thing that he's talking about. So without further ado, let's go to my interview with Neil. Gordon. Neil Gordon, welcome to the Star Coach Show. I am so excited to have you here with me today. So happy to be here too, Meg. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We are going to talk about the important aspect of getting people's attention and helping them understand that we understand where they're coming from and where their problem points might be and how that adds to whatever we do, whether we're speaking, whether we are coaching, whatever we're doing. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But before we dive into that, I would love for people to better understand you and the work that you, what led you to do the work that you do. As a communication expert, 
And with a background in book publishing, I was an editor at Penguin once upon a time, and I've ghostwritten nonfiction books and all of that. Lots of bookish stuff, lots of communication in language and words. What I'm supposed to say next is I was a real bookish kid and I was always reading something and I read everything I could get my hands on. And that, Meg, is so completely the opposite of what happened. And it's almost shameful. Like I hated reading from about second grade when I got my first book report until my early 20s and didn't read anything. I didn't do my assigned readings, my SAT score. Well, the first time I took it was like 330 verbal, which put me in the fifth percentile. And I got through college even with a 3.5, basically never reading anything that was given to me. Thankfully, I guess I had an easy academic track. But when I moved to New York City right after school, I found myself reading just to escape the subways because they were noisy and crowded and messy and grimy. And I read this one book by John Irving, A Prayer for Owen Meany, which really shattered my understanding of what the world could be. Even though it was fiction, it still messed with my head a lot. Mm. And I went through this angst-ridden, what's it all mean, 20-something thing, which a lot of us went through at that age, of course. But a book did that for me, was a catalyst for me. And so I just spent years, like several years, investigating how the written word, how language could do that. And I developed enough insights that I got an editorial assistant job at Penguin several years later. And I'm skipping over a lot, obviously, how that happened. But the long and the short of it is, is that I then found myself on track of communication that ended just a few years in the Penguin world. And I did freelance stuff for years and go through books and all of that. But then in more recent years, uncovered some things that that same level of like interpretation and discernment that I started mm -hmm. to develop in my early 20s, I figured out there were certain things that just helped people to not just notice and pay attention to us, but to really, really in their heart of hearts, get on board with what we were saying. So good. And so now you work to help people bring their messages forward, primarily through speaking, but obviously through writing. And in getting that message forward is how we build our credibility. It's how we uh, get in front of the people that need to hear our message. And we're going to talk today about how we do that going through problems and hopefully towards solutions. So where do you want to start when we think about marketing through problem? What so many people do, there's a big trap that so many experts fall into, okay? And let's let's look at an expert. Let's look at the coaches who are listening now and high coaches and all of that. There's so much expertise there, right? There's knowledge, there's experience, there's insight, and the knowing that just they work with me, they're going to see amazing changes in all of that. And what so many of us do when we are so immersed in that level of expertise is we start with the knowledge. We start with the information, the solution that we have. And this was something that my, I have a funny story about this. My father is was a retired teacher and was substitute teaching just to, to stay busy and all of mm -hmm. that. But at the high school he was subbing at, the subs weren't given, they weren't given keys for their own classrooms for the day. And so when it came time for them to go to their classroom, they were locked out along with all the students and the custodial staff had to come and let them in. And my dad always felt very embarrassed and humiliated by that. He didn't, he felt it was undermining his authority as a faculty member, basically. Right. 
Right. And he knew how much better he would be able to control the class. He had the knowledge, he had the expertise in all of that. And if he was going to do what so many people do in that situation, he would have just written the principal and read him the riot act and say, you have to give us where this is undermining our authority. You, you have to You're making me look bad. I feel stupid. Bad. Yeah. And he knows it's true. And maybe on some level, the principal would know it's true as well. And my dad was a rabble rouser as a teacher. He was like influential in the teacher's union and he was always annoying the administration. It's really nice that he had tenure, frankly. And I said, he sent me an email that he wanted to send to the principal. I was like, all right, dad, you want to get a key. I have a different way for you to do this. And I had him write a different email. And the next day, after the principal had gotten the email, he saw my dad in the hallway and said, I hear you, let's meet. Okay, so the principal was on board. What was it that was in that email? Well, instead of talking about his humiliation and his embarrassment and undermining authority figure and all that stuff, I had him lead with this sentence. We are a group of substitute teachers who have concerns for the safety of our student. Now, Meg, have we talked about safety about anything yet? No. No. What we knew when I talked about it with my dad a little bit, I drew it out of him, was that there were lockdowns because of like there had been some issues with violence the previous year, and it's a pervasive issue in many schools these days. Right. What came to light was that students were feeling unsafe in the substitute teacher classrooms because the teachers couldn't lock the doors during a lockdown. And there was also the possibility that if there was suddenly an issue and they needed to suddenly get into a classroom, they wouldn't be able to because the subs wouldn't have keys. And so he, he, he elaborates on that initial sentence, and then he describes his request is that substitute teacher get keys. What he did in that email, and the reason why the principal came to him and said, I hear you, let's meet the following day, is because he framed the issue in the context of the problem the principal cared about solving. Right. Right? And this, to come back, way back, like back in the dark ages when you asked me that question, the way that we influence in our marketing and in our speaking, and even just in our conversations at a networking event or something like that, giving our elevator pitch, any of these things is not to start with our expertise, our solution. It's and watch people glaze over. Glaze over, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They're like, oh, I just asked, what do you do? And now I'm getting this whole speech about this thing. and or Right. Whatever. And I feel like I'm being sold to and it sold feels gross. And yeah. You need a shower now and all of that, right? And so... The idea is to first start with a problem that our audience cares about solving and then transition to, into our solution eventually once we've gotten them invested in solving that problem. So good. So you talked about the fact that when your dad sent you the email that was full of sort of his his feelings and his angst, um, you spent time talking to him about what the real issue, just getting information from him, you got curious and then you were able to help him transition that into what's really going to be impactful and, and ultimately get your need met. Um, So in general, for the people who are listening there, you want to start with a problem that the people that you want to hear you are going to be invested in. How do you get, how do you know what that is? 
There, there are any number of ways. In the specific case of my dad and the principal, we were able to figure that out on our own. Mm-hmm. But I remember in the days following the very tragic killing of George Floyd last year, yeah. I have a pretty decent sized email list and I wanted to help, but I didn't know what to say and I didn't know what to offer them in order to help. And I'm not talking about like a monetized offer. I'm just like, no, yeah. What can I just do? What do you just need? Yeah. And all of that. And so I wrote them and this is a good number of people. I wrote them and said, I want to help and here are a couple of ideas, but what is it you actually want right now? And what was interesting is that a lot of them didn't ask for a specific solution. They just wrote me to tell me what they thought or what they felt. And they just wanted to feel seen and heard because Mm -hmm. of all of the tumult, all of the stuff going on. And I put together Facebook Live a couple of days later. So I think people want just to feel seen and heard. And so at the very least, they can ask questions and I'll respond. And, And so it's what it is. But I, I responded to 180 emails over the next couple of days wow. and, and, and did that. And so the larger point is to simply ask. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would occasionally make certain things happen that were in service of my list feeling seen and heard. And it's, it's, a, it's a decent sized list, like I said. So there's only so much I can do in that one to many context, but I can still always ask them what they want and what they need. And then I can frame the solutions I have for them in the context of those needs, those wants. And that's really the the simplest way that we can do it. Sometimes we have the benefit of just knowing what they want and right. we research. And there are other ways to, to research it too. I like to do a Twitter test sometimes. Where Tell I, us about your Twitter test. Twitter test is where you create a little promoted tweet campaign of maybe four or six headlines with a bit.ly link, right? You create a link that's just a a bit.ly link that, and you run four to six different problems, headlines that feature problems. If you're struggling with blank, then click Mm -hmm. here, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And whichever one of those promoted tweets has the highest click-through rate, 1%, 2%. 1%, 2%. I've had Twitter tests where something had like a 12% click-through rate, which in digital marketing is almost unheard of. Yeah. I'm like, oh, there are people who really care about this then. And so that demonstrates it. I don't like pulling people and asking them, um, what problem do you have just straight up? I like to ask, like, what is it that it, like click here if you want this? Or like when I do, when I pull my email list and I just want to know which thing, click here if you are struggling with this or click here. I want them to take an action because behaviors to me are more powerful than words in that regard. And so the Twitter test is built built on that idea as well. They're clicking on something out of genuine curiosity, not because they think they should answer that question that way. Okay. Just out of curiosity, once they click, do they get just a thank you page for clicking or do they get a resource? Like what one you said, if you want help with this click, what do they, what happens once they click? I'm not too religious about where you send the traffic. It's not usually a lot. I don't know that you really need more than 15 or 20 clicks. If that even depends on the test, but you don't need a super huge number of people. So you could just send them to the homepage of your website. You could send them to a thank you for clicking through. I'm just working out 
the best way to do this thing. But if you're interested in another resource, here's a video right now kind of thing. Okay. So I was just curious, like once you've asked them to click, like, does it just go into the ether for them? So I, that it was, it was just a curiosity question. Some transparency can, I don't feel transparency can ever go amiss in that regard. You could even say, I'm just, I'm just testing titles for my upcoming book. And if you're interested in getting on the list to be the first one who finds out who wants who's to find out about it, here you go, kind of thing. And they can mm-hmm. opt it. Absolutely. Or maybe a lead magnet and say, here's a lead magnet of the first chapter in case you're curious. Right. Good. Okay, great. So when we think about understanding the people that we want to reach, we need to understand what their pain points are, what's um, what's potentially going to interest them to get more information. What else when we think about our message and aligning our message with problem, where do we need to go next with that? I like to think of a former client of mine who, like many of our listeners, is a coach and she was looking to up her speaking game. That A lot of my folks find me because of speaking. It's not the right. only problems I help people to solve, but a lot of them find me through that. Mm -hmm. And they thankfully get a lot of value in terms of presenting their unique selling proposition or value proposition to others anyway, for sales conversations and stuff. But this is specifically for her to have a signature talk. But as a coach, she was kind of a generalist in that regard. And she helped people with all sorts of different things. The larger point was for them to be empowered, to live a richer life that led to more positive outcomes as a whole, right? But that being said, what we were able to do is create the bones of a talk. And then we were able to adapt that talk to different audiences and essentially different topics. So if the the other concept was about framing everything in terms of the problem that our audience cares about solving, what if you have one audience who's really interested in overcoming burnout and another one that's really looking to become more conscious and mindful of their eating and to basically eat better and possibly lose some weight. You can take the same talk with the same solution and just start with a different problem at the beginning of the talk and then refine and tweak the breadcrumbs to get to the solution a little bit. The solution is similar but the, the context for it is different. And maybe you change the story. You open with a story and one is about a person who's really burnt out. The other one is a person who's really struggling with their eating. But at the same time, you could help, you can, if you're really a generalist who's helping everyone in a similar way, but they come to you for different reasons, you just cater that content to that particular reason and then just move into your solution from there. I really like, so if I'm understanding you correctly, if all of you are listening, are able to create an a framework for your talk that builds your solution in, it becomes sort of a, a template almost that you can then create two specific audiences. Is that accurate? Right, exactly. It, it winds up being a fairly predictable template at that. And we could even look at, this is not even exclusive to talk, to speaking, like we said earlier, this is about... Like we could even look at the example with my father and getting people on board with it. If he was writing a bunch of substitute teachers and wanted them to sign a petition to request getting keys, he would possibly play to the 
the sense of embarrassment or the sense of if you're struggling to really get the class in order at the beginning because you feel your authority is being undermined, we have a very simple thing that can help to instill that sense of authority in the minds of your students. And that is simply having a key. And so it's the same solution, giving keys to the subs, but he's framed the same solution in a completely different context. Because that might be their viewpoint. Right. Absolutely. So I, I challenge all of you to be thinking about, okay, so how can I use this framework in the emails that I send out, in the um, in the speaking that I do, in Facebook Lives? And, and I wanted to circle back, Neil, if it's okay with you, to something that you said earlier so we could maybe uh, flesh out some ideas around that as well. You said that when George Floyd murder happened and the country was just heartbroken. You reached out to your list because you have a substantial list and you brought that forward. And in my mind, I saw people in my audience saying, but I don't have a substantial list. You don't necessarily have to have a substantial list to be able to leverage what you're talking about. So could you just kind of share some ideas about for those people who are, who don't, necessarily have a list yet, there's still ways to bring this concept forward. Could you share some ideas about that? Of course. The simplest way is to reach out to either, if you have existing clients, you can reach out to existing clients and just interview them a little bit. You have to do a little detective work because if they're working with you and they're really on board with your value, then they're going to want to just talk about how great it is now. But with a little bit of depthness in your conversation, you could help them to remember what it was like before they worked with you. Or even if you wrote a post on social media or someone referred them to you, you could ask, like, what were you stressed about before you reached out? Like, what were you hoping to achieve? And you could just engineer your your messaging from that like the problem from that perspective especially if you have a a handful of people and you see common themes then that's really good intel for you and another another thing you might do is ask people who maybe and this is a little gutsier but people who chose not to work with you and you could ask what their objections were and just because it's for research it's like i'm just really struggling with this and i just didn't feel that was going to really help me with this and then you could determine is that a problem I can help someone to solve and and all of that. You could ask people who haven't had the solution from you, like like not just the people who turned you down, but just friends you know who would be your ideal clients. You right. could just interview them. And so you don't even need to have a client roster. You just need the ability to ask a few questions. So good. And like Neil had said, anybody could do a survey and social media. He uses Twitter. You might use a similar thing on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I mean, there's many different to to get up to connect with the people that you do have in your network and just ask, just ask about what take those five different topics and and ask about them. And I love the concept of just kind of doing some blind testing there. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And if you are going to poll people, like, like you just said, Meg, I would say that finding a concise way to frame the problem in the answers is pretty much a, a, a go-to kind of thing for that. Because 
like I, I said before, it's like people are trying to tell themselves what they think they should choose or whatever, which is different than just behaving, like clicking on something that has them curious. Right. But you could, if you do it like with like, uh, I, I'm just so sick of my smoking habit. Like you, you frame it in terms of like an inner monologue, like, like you bring the disgust or the frustration, the emotional tone of it into the words themselves that will help people to relate to one answer over another. So good. So good. So now we've gotten some clarity. We've discussed the, the problem and, and I love the idea of being able to adapt it to different audiences. Once you have that framework, what is it about this concept of talking to the bringing from the problem to the solution that adds the value to, to your audience? When we think about our expertise and how long we've spent developing it and all of that, what we have is a unique perspective, a unique even diagnostician's understanding of what really lies beneath the surface of everything. And the value of this approach is that we're meeting people where they're at rather than where we know they could be if they just did a little bit of work. Mm-hmm. And so what, the, what this ultimately comes down to, Meg, is having a real sense of empathy, having a sense of understanding Because when somebody feels that someone else understands the problem that they're going through right now, a very important ingredient comes into the mix, and that's trust. It's the most most awful bankruptcy we have in so many situations in such a noisy world with so so many people trying to get attention and stuff like that. There's trust. Like when when I share my podcast appearances with my list, for example, I don't tell them to go and listen to this podcast episode because it will be usually it's long form content. It's like a webinar. It's, it's, it's a fair amount. But what I do is I like to send them to a specific point in it for a little morsel, a little nugget, because they're more likely to trust that if they do that, they're going to get something as opposed to the bigger unknown. Is this going to be worth 45 minutes of my time kind of thing? Exactly. So we're, we're using these kinds of things just to prompt them. And, and frankly, a lot of them like that more. So like, I'm just going to listen to this whole thing because this sounds like a good conversation, but we've earned that trust is the thing. And so another way to build that trust is to have a clear understanding of the problem that our audience cares about. Because when they see that we understand them, Mm -hmm. they're going to trust us more and be more willing to go a little deeper with us. Yeah, we want we want people to because I think our pain points are things that we almost try to hide or cover up at times. And if somebody's able to speak clearly to that would be like this person really understands me. They got vulnerable before I got vulnerable kind of thing, I think. Now, I have a note from when we did our pre-interview, all I wrote down was contrast leads to clarity. So tell us more about contrast leads to clarity. One of my favorite examples of a client doing something amazing with this approach to communication was a 
She's the founder of a program at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. I lived in LA before I lived here and where I live now in New York. And I volunteered at this for this program for a number of years. And that's how I knew her. And that's how she became my client. And one day I came in for my shift and she was all flustered and upset because we had a 10 minute talk to give later that day to sponsors of the hospital to talk about the program as a unique program. And there are all these interesting, you know, they gifted books to children and sent volunteers to read bedside. And there was a therapeutic library and all this sort of thing. And she was really flustered because those things went down like a lead balloon because she just went on about her program and people glazed over and they just politely clapped at the end. And she's like, why are they even having me come to these things? These things are awful. I took her, I asked her, I, I took her aside. I said, would you like me to help you work out what to say today? And she said, yes. And so we worked it out and she went off and she gave the talk. I saw her that afternoon. I asked her how it went. And she said, she held them wrapped at attention from the moment she started speaking. And instead of just politely clapping at the end, they rushed her with business cards at the end. And one of them even invited her to apply for a grant. Wow. But she's your new best friend. So what did you what did you help her with? What did I help her with? Okay, so that conversation that morning only took two minutes. In two minutes, we completely transformed her presence as a speaker, basically. And the reason why is because we had clarity about what her essential message is. It's a technique I call the silver bullet, which is just this way of capturing your secret sauce in a single sentence. And hers was very simple. It was that literacy can heal. And so we had worked out that statement prior to that day. It was only a few weeks before, actually, because she was going to be on TV and she wanted some prep. So we worked out her silver bullet. And then in a few seconds, she could say something amazing because she was there with a celebrity on TV and she wasn't going to get almost any screen time. So we knew she had to be concise. So there she was, but she hadn't done this for 10 minutes yet. But because we had that clarity, we were able to work it out in almost no time at all. Now, where did the clarity come from? How did we find that silver bullet? And that takes us back to your original note that you just posed to me. The, the, the idea, actually, we could look at the movie Moneyball with Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill, where mm -hmm. in the early 2000s, the Oakland A's were this, this small market team. They couldn't come close to spending what the Yankees spent. Yankees would spend $120 million or something like that. Oh, no, no, 1.2 billion. I don't know. Like a lot, gonna, a lot of money. A lot of money, a lot of money. And and the A's were a small club, but they won. They broke the American League record for the most consecutive wins in a season that year on a third of the payroll of the Yankees. And the reason why they were able to do it is because of this larger concept of Moneyball, which is explained by Jonah Hill, a fictional character to Brad Pitt's character, who was based on a real person about a, a early in the movie. And he says, there's an epidemic failure in how most baseball managers run their, most baseball owners run their teams. What they do think they need to do is buy players, but what they actually need to do is buy runs. And so the A's did what they did because they bought the cheapest runs that you could get in the league. And so the larger statement was contrast leads to clarity. To find your silver bullet, that, that secret sauce, that unique proposition that only you as a coach or another kind of expert has, mm -hmm. you contrast it with the other solutions of which you least approve. 
the ones you deem to be epidemic failures, just like Jonas said, in the, they all, there's this epidemic failure. What is the epidemic failure that you observe in your world, either on part of other coaches or just who your ideal clients and customers would be like, what's the epidemic failure among them? They all think they need to do this, but it's actually this. Oh, so good. Yeah. You guys all got a silver bullet. I just want to share that with you. That is so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so that's really what we're looking to do is just mine out that that essential truth around your expertise and base that on contrasting it with others. It's not the only way to find that clarity, of course. It's just a nice go-to way that I can explain to you right here and have a fun little movie analogy to boot. Right, right. So, so we have explored so and I love your use of stories and I know that the audience loves your use of stories I'm sure you are a fantastic speaker because they just roll from you and the and apply so well to what we're sharing Gordon is Neil sorry call him by his last name that's not Neil what have we left on the table or did you want to be sure that we shared as we get towards the end of our time together today? I do have, I mean, to your point, I do have a story that I I would be very happy to share as with a parting message, basically. Okay. And that actually brings us back to a little over a year and a half ago when I sadly lost my father. I talked, told the story of helping him with the substitute teaching and I did lose him a little over a year and a half ago now. And what... I'm about to say it sounds like it's going to be a really heavy story. It's actually not, uh, believe it or not. It's taking us to his funeral, and I took it upon myself to add, to have to offer a eulogy. I mean, several of my family members eulogized my father at the funeral, and it was very well attended. And and I get up there, and. There's a certain format to it. I mean, I was raised Jewish, and, and so it was a Jewish funeral, and there's a certain format to it. But I decided to go off book book because when you're a speaking and communication expert and you're eulogizing your father, who was absolutely so t- close to your heart, by you, yeah. then you're going to bring one whopper of a eulogy, or at least try to. And so what did I start my Whopper of Eulogy with? It was with a story of how when I was about 10, my dad and I were at the supermarket and we were in the produce section. And there's this big vat, open vat of jelly beans with a scoop and bags and you could pay by the pound kind of thing. But my dad didn't do things that he was supposed to do. He did things that he wanted to do. So he just went over and said, hey, jelly beans. And he just took some out of the vat and just ate them with his hands. And I was half amused and half mortified. But what's more significant than my reaction as a 10-year-old was my reaction, the reaction of my aunt, his sister, sitting in the front row. As I started with the jelly bean story at this eulogy of my father, my recently departed father, she just blurts out in the middle, that's the story you're going to tell? And I didn't really miss it. I just miss a beat. I just made brief eye contact with her and just soldiered on. Because I knew that that wasn't the main point. The main point I did make is that as a teacher, he was often given the problem kids in the school, like the ones that others would consider delinquents. And what he should have done, what he's supposed to do is treat them like delinquents. But what he wanted to do was treat them like stars. And so the point I made was that my dad's career as a teacher was a great reminder for us to live life not as 
not as we what we we shouldn't do what we we're not meant to do what we should do but rather what we want to do basically is the point and by the end of the of the eulogy my aunt was no longer incredulous over the jelly bean story she was just smiling she was a little teary and she called me a week later just to say how much she appreciated this other way of she never thought of her own brother in that way and she just appreciated his wife in this new and different way and so the point I want to make in all of this is that if we judge this eulogy based on the fact that it had been interrupted in the middle of it, which how often does that happen, right? But based strictly on what I was saying initially, then it would have been an issue. But instead, I want us to remember this eulogy, not based on that, but based on what my aunt did after it was over, the action she took. The value of our message isn't based on what we say but rather what our audience does once we're done saying it. So, so good. So I'm going to have links for the audience to be able to connect with you in the show notes, but just curious, is there, uh, what is the best way if they want to uh, connect and and know more about you? The easiest way is just to find me on my website, neilcanhelp.com, N-E-I-L. And if you want a more fun-loving foray into this work, you can actually do a little speaker quiz that I have on my website at neilcanhelp.com forward slash quiz. It's on the homepage as well. And you take you learn what about your personality can help you to truly captivate your audience as a speaker from the moment you start speaking. Not in a way that everyone else thinks you should speak, but the way you are as a true extension of your personality. So helpful. Thank you so much for joining us today. Of course, it's been a delight, Meg. So there you go. Another expert sort of sharing with us ways to bring our skill set forward and really engage with our audience. I want to thank Neil Gordon again for joining the show. If you'd like to know more about Neil, go to starcoachshow.com slash 253. That's starcoachshow.com slash 253. You'll find links to be able to connect with the quiz that he was talking about, as well as his website. And let's talk now about next week. Next week, I have a dear friend coming on the show who is also my coach. Rick Tamlin will be joining us to talk about where we might be missing the mark as coaches and how to, well, how to dare to be bold and what that does to the coaching relationship. I think you're going to love it. Please come back and join us. And if you are enjoying the show, I would appreciate you considering leaving a rate and review wherever it is that you listen so that more people can find the show. If there's a particular episode that you think would really resonate with somebody else, please share the episode with them. Invite them into the Star Coach community and we will grow and blossom in the coaching profession together. So until next week, this is Meg Rentschler wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Have a fantastic week.